point at which your service becomes a commodity, you're in trouble. Because especially if you're not the lowest price, you know, people are looking at you as a commodity and going, well, I just need somebody to shoot this. They're going to say, okay, well, person, you know, A costs this, B costs this, C costs this. Who's the cheapest? Well, that's what I'm going to use. That was Jonathan Epstein, and this is Guild Story. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we will explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Well, it's our first uh, first guest, a blast from the past of my day back in um, Memphis. We weren't there. We weren't in Memphis for long, but had the good fortune of meeting some awesome people. One of which is uh, has has kindly agreed to um, let me blab uh, some random questions at him for the next forty five minutes or so. Uh, so, Jonathan Epstein. Jonathan is a tremendous storyteller, um, primarily through the use of video. Um, he is the co founder and principal of a really, really talented group called Running Running Pony Productions based in Memphis. They do work worldwide. But, um, man, Jonathan, really pumped to have you on the show with us today, man. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the the jumping in point, I could go a lot of, lot of different ways, but the jumping in point, um, what's the story behind Running Pony? Like why Running Pony? And then give us a quick intro into your agency and what you guys do. Sure. So, I mean, Running Pony, um, my original business partner and I started, um, it really started innocently as a, with a conversation um, on the way to the Regional Emmy Awards back in 1993. And he said to me, have you ever thought about going into business for yourself? And I said, I, you know, I've thought about it, but, you know, I've never really figured out what that, what that thing is. And, you know, we both um, were working in television at the time and both saw mm. an opportunity to tell stories outside of TV at the time, really for not-for-profits. And um, so we sort of had a jumping off point at that point to start doing some freelance work um, in in a way that was going to be you know, non-competitive with what we were doing in television. Yeah. So we, we started off doing that and um, we were trying to come up with a name for the company and at the time, he was restoring an old Mustang, and so he talked about trying to get the pony running, and you know, running pony is, is sort of kind of kind of took off from there, and, and um, it, the name just kind of stuck. And there, there's kind of a double double meaning behind it as well. That um, there's a, a member of the British nobility from back in the 1800s named Sir Edwin Moybridge, who um, there was a bet made between two members of, of British royalty about whether or not when a horse was at full stride, all four legs left the ground. And of course, you know, this was before video, so no one could really answer that question because you couldn't see it. It was moving so fast with the human eyes. So Sarah Moybridge is the guy who figured out how to stitch together a series of still photos and really create the first moving image, which was of a horse running. So there's kind of a, there's kind of a kind of a cool historical tie to it as well. So, um, and, you know, we've looked at, when we went from doing it kind of part-time into full-time, we looked at changing the name, and we realized we already had a lot of equity in that name, and people knew who we are, and so we stuck with it and served as well. That's awesome. I, I had no idea either of those pieces of info. Uh, both are awesome, though. Like, the old Mustang. It's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, let's name it the running. we got to get the pony running. Let's do it. Um, and the, the, the first video piece, like, that's insane, dude, of course. Um, how, did you grow, like... I don't know this at, at all either, so this would be news to me. But like, where did you grow up? What what did like early childhood and and uh, you know kind of your entry into the quote unquote work work world look like for you? Yeah, so for me, I mean, I grew up. You know, I mean, I'm a kid. I grew up in the suburbs of Memphis, and um, you know, born and raised, and um, you know, just grew up just doing things kids do. I mean, you know, ran around the neighborhood with friends, and um, you know, played played a few sports, not particularly well. Um, nothing ever, you know, at the, the high school level, just, you know, rec league kind of stuff. And um, had a pretty, you know, pretty normal suburban um, upbringing with, you know, good family and good friends. And um, went away to, to New Orleans, to Tulane for school. Um, ended up coming back and fishing at Memphis and 
knew I knew that I wanted to I knew that I wanted to go into journalism at the time and I was when I was in college I was editor of the paper at Tulane and um, wanted to, to sort of learn more about television and so I made a connection with somebody at, at WMC here in Memphis and reached out to them and did a couple of internships my first couple of summers of college and um, after what would have you know during what would have been my senior year I did an internship and ended up getting offered a job and so I was kind of faced with well do, do I go back to New Orleans and finish my degree and then hope I can get the job that I've already been offered or do I just stay here and take the job and finish my degree mm. in Memphis instead and so um, I ended up doing that and you know worked at WMC for 12 years and started off you know at the bottom of the bottom of the ladder and just kind of worked my way up to eventually uh being news operations manager and special projects director and then that kind of you know really taught me more than anything i ever learned in school about storytelling mm. and you know just finding finding good stories and telling good stories and i worked with an incredible number of talented people that helped you know they were very gracious with their time and they helped me learn and yeah, that, that kind of gave me the inflection point to to jump off, and so, in we started we started running Pony kind of you know part time in early '99, excuse me, early '94, pardon me, and we did it part time for about five years, and you know in, in Memphis, you know television news changed dramatically throughout the '90s. Um, most would argue um, not in not not for the better, mm. and you know, it became a lot more tabloid and a lot more sensationalized and there was a lot less sort of long form, you know, deep journalism being done. And that was something that I really enjoyed. I mean, I really enjoyed that part of it and there was less opportunity to do that. And so for me, it was the right time to get out of the business. And, you know, I had this part-time gig that was going well. And so um, along with my original business partner and, and um, another guy who we worked with, it was sort of, it was the right time. And so we we, we made the jump and, and having, you know, Rod, who's my current partner, who was our third partner, join us, I think gave us the confidence that we had, you know, a well-rounded skill set of three people kind of to, to, to take the leap. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was for me, um, for me, it was, it was an opportunity to do something that, you know, was, was different and sort of get out of that, you know, daily grind of, of, you know, local TV deadlines, which, you know, was, I was definitely ready to do at that time. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up like the, the start was 94, but you went full-time in 99. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yep, correct. Yep. So like, there's this funny misconception about like entrepreneurship that it's this like crazy jump out of an airplane and hope the parachute opens. Right. <laughs> it's like, absolutely. no, th- oh, absolutely. this was this, um, and sure, there was risk, and, and we'll get into, like, probably a lot of the challenges of the early years and even the today years. But um, this really cool, like, you built the bridge, like, in, in real time. You had to side hustle, and you had to work in the margins, and you had to figure out how to, like, stand this thing up and create. Like, what was that? Uh, it, it's beautiful on a LinkedIn summary. Like, hey, we started this thing full-time in 99. But, like, what were those – what were those five years like as you were trying to navigate? Like, hey, is this thing legit and viable? And can can, can I go do this with these guys? You know, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I really appreciated the the what, what I was going through at the time because I mean, number one, you know, I was working forty fifty hours a week in TV, and I was probably working forty or fifty hours a week, um, yeah. yeah, you know, on our business. So, I mean, as a result. I, I think that my head was just, you know, I kept my head down and just trying to get through it. So I don't know that I don't know that, that I was conscious of what I was building then. Um, I think that, you know, early on for, for us, the question was, you know, are there are there nonprofits that are in need of, of having good stories told? And, and can we do it in a way that is different from what's being done in the marketplace? And you know, this is a time when the, you know, the, the barrier to entry to do video production was the cost of equipment. I mean, you know, there, there's no iPhones, there's no DSLRs. I mean, you know, quality video cameras cost $20,000. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty daunting challenge to, 
to, to get into. And, you know, we were, we were very, very, very fortunate that, you know, early on we had, we, we made some connections with some other folks that were in the market that, um, doing similar things who really, you know, extended, a, a um, you know, extended an arm. There's a guy named David Webb who, um, owned a production company, um, that did a lot of church videos and, um, produced a weekly church, a show for their church. And David was you know, just incredibly gracious and in saying, you know, let me help you. I'll help you meet people. I'll, you know, you, you use my equipment. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll rent you stuff inexpensively. So, you know, that was, that allowed us, you know, a, an opportunity to sort of, you know, get into it and figure out what we were doing, which was amazing and just, you know, incredibly kind and, and, you know, gave us that opportunity. And, and so I think for us, um, you know, we, we did, we kind of did get to sort of stand it up a little bit while we were going. And I, I don't, I always tell people, you know, for me, they said, okay, you have to be really, you know, fearless to take this, to take this leap from, you know, a full-time job to kind of doing this thing just out there on your own. And it's like, for me, it was easier. I mean, you know, I was 28, 29, how old I was, I can't remember, 30. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, and I, and I was, and I was still single and I had, you know, very few expenses and no debt. So it was kind of like, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. And ultimately, you know, I'm employable if I want to go back, you know, if I have to go back into television, you know, I can go back into television. And, you know, I mean, I had plan B, C, and D lined up with, mm. you know, people that I knew in the business that, okay, if this just doesn't, doesn't go, you know, I can make it go. But I also had a lot of confidence from what I had seen and heard that we were going to be able to be successful. And we, you know, we were lucky that a lot of people who had no business taking a gamble on us at the time did. And those, those things paid dividends. And so, you know, we were kind of, I think we were in the right place at the right time. And so it was a time when there were a lot of mature production companies in Memphis that were, you know, sort of getting to the, to the end of an arc. Um, and, you know, some of them were winding down and some of them were starting to, to close up shop. And, you know, there was a real need in the marketplace and we were able to help fill, fill that need. And so that was, that was pretty cool. I mean, that was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I think that, you know, when we left, we thought, okay, this is going to be a real, this is going to be a, a real hard climb. You know, we, we rented some office space. We got, I think, maybe seven or 800 square feet of office space. And, you know, we thought, okay, we can be able to figure out a way to pay the bills, you know, on a monthly basis kind of thing. And it just, you know, word of mouth took over and we really just, you know, things just kind of took off and, and we never really looked back. And so it's, you know, I think, I don't, I don't stop for a second to, to not appreciate how fortunate we are mm. compared to really the, the incredibly difficult struggles that, you know, and we work incredibly hard and I work, you know, 60, 80, 90 hours a week. So, but with that being said, it, it was, you know, we, we weren't, we weren't figuring out how to make payroll. I mean, we were, from early on, we were, we were solvent and we never took on any debt. And so we, as a result, we're, we're really lucky to, to be able to, you know, sort of get off on the right foot and, and never kind of get into a hole, if you will. I mean, the only, the only investment that we ever had was for something when we started off, we needed to purchase some equipment that, you know, obviously we didn't have, you know, 25, 50 grand of cash, whatever it was at the time sitting around. And so we had an angel investor that was a family friend who, you know, basically said, come show me your business plan. And, you know, I didn't, I'm not a business school guy. I didn't have a business plan. And so, you know, we, <laughs> here's the napkin. And, uh, like we, it looks good on the, pay, on the yeah, napkin. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, and we, and, and went and talked with, with, with her and her husband and said, you know, this is, this is our vision of what we want to do. And, um, you know, she said, okay, she said, well, you know, I'll lend you the money and, you know, at a modest interest rate and you know, you'll pay me back when, you know, you can pay me back. I'm not going to, we're not going to set up a schedule. We're just going to, you know, you'll pay me when you can pay me. And I, you know, I didn't, like, I grew up with a dad who never had a credit card who said, you know, if, if you can't afford something, you don't, you don't need it. You don't buy it. Mm. And so, mm. um, you know, I didn't like the idea of, of having debt. Um, and I had just, you know, finished paying off student loans that I had. So, um, you 
know, we and if we paid we paid that money back in a year, a year, maybe two years. I mean, it was pretty quick. That's um, awesome. And you know, from that point forward, we never, you know, we just we just didn't take on debt because it we knew that that was a recipe for disaster. So um, anyway, it, that's that's kind of a circuitous answer to a fairly simple question, but that's kind of how we stood it up. I love it, man. No, it's a, it's a brilliant answer. I, I love the context and the nuance and, and, and putting us back in those kind of early days. So, so from, you know, I, I got to know you and your team and geez, uh, dating myself here. It was Oh six where, when we moved from zoo to Memphis um, and, and we were in Memphis from, from Oh six to Oh eight and had our third daughter in Memphis. And, uh, so I always have a special place, um, in our, in our hearts there for, for that, those couple years of our story and our journey. But at the time, so you guys would have been, you know, well, you were, you were five years old when the lights went on formally, but from a 99 launch date to our 06 entrance, I mean, you're seven years old or so at the time. Um, I, I'd just be curious to kind of hear like those, as you guys, came out of the gates strong, you know, the fastest horse in the stable. Um, you, you had these, like, you had to have had these kind of pivotal either clients or projects or moments when you realized you had to staff up or staff down or figure out how to navigate the, like, growth. Like, what, what did those first whatever, whatever context, three, five, seven years kind of look like as you guys started to stand it up? Not just stand it up, but, like, grow it and figure out how to, how to keep it in the world in a healthy way. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to some extent, you know, we always had a, we had something of a, of a build it and, and, you know, they will come mentality. Um, you know, we started off and, and things, you know, really kind of took off. Um, we, you know, we left in, in early 99, um, March of 99 actually. And, um, we, hired you know our first full-time employees um later that year and then hired employee number two or number five depending on if you want to count the three of us um (laughs) in march of the following year and um in 2000 and you know early on a lot of what we did and this is sort of you talk about you know opportunities so when, when um back in in the late 90s in memphis um Memphis made a connection with the St. Louis Cardinals to bring their AAA team to Memphis. And Memphis had had AA baseball for a long time. And when I was growing up, and it hadn't had a team for a couple of years. And, um, you know, Memphis being close to St. Louis, huge Cardinals town. And yep. so um, as a result, uh, a Cardinals you know, AAA team was, was kind of a no-brainer. And um, the guys who, who envisioned this had the vision to – build a ballpark in downtown Memphis, which if you look at downtown Memphis, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Mm. Because there was just, there was nothing going on downtown. And now it's a completely, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole different world, but um, they built this ballpark at the corner of, of um, Union third and downtown Memphis. And in the process of doing so, we connected with them. We did a lot of work for them because we had, you know, some contacts that were in there, they were doing their marketing. And so we did, you know, work early on in the late nineties when they first started off the team. And then as they built out the ballpark, um, we ended up becoming, you know, their video partner and, you know, producing all their games and, and running the video board. And that was, that was a big inflection point because that was a, an opportunity to, to get into, you know, obviously our background was in live production. So it wasn't a big jump to, be able to do that but it, it gave us a great platform to number one um you know to work and number two um as, as an exposure for for the company and so you know we we produced um the games at, at autism park which is the redbird stadium for 20 years and you know we staffed you know all the crew for for the video board and um produced some of the games for television as well that they did and so that that was that was a big moment, and that kind of led to us hiring a couple of full time employees, one of whom worked you know probably fifty percent of their time, um, you know just on that, and and it was a great relationship for us. I mean, it was a relationship that you know really helped launch the company, and 
when the NBA came to Memphis, the the owner of the NBA franchise at the time connected with the Redbirds owner because there was some commonality of, you know, can, can sports succeed downtown when the majority of the population lives in the suburbs? And um, so they ended up coming downtown as well, and we got connected with them, and so we did all their video for several years before they, you know, created an in-house department. So it was really that, – that's, that's the space we lived in a lot at that time was live sports, but at the same time we were doing, you know, a ton of production as well. We were doing a lot of corporate work, a lot of nonprofit work, and it's always it's always been a nice mix. And I think that for us, I think having that combination of different um, income streams coming in, you know, always gave us a certain degree of insulation. Um, you know, we we made it through two thousand one, you know, through nine eleven with without mm. You know, we, we sort of like everybody else took a big deep breath and then we ended up hiring two people right after 9-11. You know, we, we had 2008 and we sort of were like, okay, you know, what's going on? And we were able to keep going and grow. And, and you know, even this year with COVID, although it's been undoubtedly the, the greatest struggle that we've ever faced as a business, you know, we've been able to keep our entire team intact and not have layoffs and, and you know, not have to cut positions. And so I think for us, that's been, you know, that's been huge. And, and, you know, we really, uh, our company has always from the beginning been about, you know, not commoditizing people and about really, mm. you know, we're only, we're only as good as this, all the people that make up our team and, and that tell those stories. And so as a result, I think, you know, being able to keep that group intact through this has been, you know, there are all those different sort of crises in American, uh, Society has been really gratifying to to myself and to, to my partners. Yeah, man. No, I I, I resonate. We're, we're we're a couple decades behind you on the on the path, <laughs> but but we, uh, you know, we're, we we've posted and are searching for number nine on our team, which um, you know for uh, for four years into this thing is like not quite four. Uh, publicly, the same deal. I had a little side hustle going for a while to figure out if it was real. Um, but to have number nine at, on the heels of, of what we just all have and, and are still collectively going through, still experiencing, but certainly the March-April um, meetings were, were drastically different. And, and I remember uh, one of our advisory board members, um, you know, through, through like some heavy emotion said, Hey, like we met on a Friday and it was in the middle of COVID. We, that very, you know, the first crazy week where the NBA cancels and NCAA cancels and all the stuff, right? Tom Hanks got COVID and we all thought we were, <laughs> we were screwed. Um, and and he asked me to to build over the weekend the line of retreat document to like show who has to go and in what order if the revenue you know went away, which there was evidence right. that revenue was going away. Um, and, and I, and in like this defensive, scared posture, I said, no, <laughs> I will not. I was like, I'll, we'll sell t-shirts or, or sweat. Like we'll, we'll figure out a way. I'm not letting these people go. And again, that's like probably more denial and defensiveness than like good leadership. <laughs> but like, um, I, I, I hear you, man, like the, 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 the responsibility and kind of the, the, um, the, 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 the ability to kind of have these other people part of the story which is way bigger than you way bigger than me right like the um that that ownership and that shared burden was was real and so that's cool that you guys kind of came through that as well man that's awesome i mean look i mean we we, we every time we hire someone i mean we um you know i i believe in i mean i want to hire the right person for the job I, I, and when i say the right person i want to hire the right human being like i mean skills to some extent you have to assume skills to some extent can be taught but if you're a jerk, you're a jerk, and I can't teach you how not to be a jerk. And so, for me, you know, it, it's 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 very easy when you know things are great and the economy is doing wonderfully and business is is plentiful and you know the sun is shining to say you know we really care about our people and we're really committed to you and you know we're committed to your family and your family is a part of our family and you know those are all things that we mean sincerely, but they're they're a lot easier to say when you don't have any, a lot of worries behind them. You know, when, when you when you face March and April and May and June, what I mean for us, I mean, you know, business, I mean, it, 
a lot of our business just stopped. Mm. I mean, you weren't you weren't going out and you know doing production. You weren't you know we were on lockdown for what a month of that time, six weeks of that time. Yeah. Um, you know, so so it was. You know, I, I felt you know, and, and my partner Rod, I think I think we all felt a sense of. You know, I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road, mm. right? I mean, and, and and it wasn't about doing, you know, we, we've never, I mean, I th- and I think this is true of entrepreneurship uh, for good entrepreneurs. I don't think good entrepreneurs always make the right business decision in, in guiding what they do. And by that, I mean that, you know, if you look at things, you know, if, 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 if you're a, a, a venture capital company or you're you know, a publicly traded company, I mean, the numbers have to guide every single decision decision you make. And you can say otherwise, but at the end of the day, you know, the numbers are what you're judged on. And, you know, being a, a company that doesn't have debt and that doesn't have outside investors that aren't involved in operating the business, you know, we, we were able to do things that were, we felt were the right thing to do, even though they weren't financially rational. And, you know, we, we absolutely had those conversations about, okay, we can't save everybody at the risk of, of you know, losing everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we can't all take, we can't take everybody down with the ship and, and you know, but we also knew that, that we planned for a contingency where we could survive, you know, a financial rough spot. We never obviously remotely imagined that it would look the way it looked, but it did. And, you know, we, I think, you know, hopefully our team, if they didn't believe our commitment to them before, going through this has strengthened that, mm. that chemistry because, you know, we, we were able to do what we, what we had said we were going to do. And, you know, and, and, we, and, we, and we told, you know, we also tried to be super transparent throughout the process with people and say, look, here's what's going on, you know. We don't know what we don't know what next month's going to bring, but here's where we are for this month. And you know, um, other than other than um, cutting some vacation time, some paid vacation, I mean, that was the only you know change that you know, and, and you know, in dropping our match on our 401k, I mean, that's all we had to do to sort of mitigate the financial loss. But you know, my partners and I absorbed you know absorbed the rest, and it was a it's been a rough it's been a rough year financially but you know hopefully doing the right thing and keeping a great team intact is going to pay dividends now that you know things are rebounding and that we're seeing you know things start to to kind of gel again and and, you know hopefully that that business this year next year into the future will will pay dividends on on the sacrifices that we made this year yeah no doubt i love that what a rich um what a rich answer my man that's awesome um, how has your work product changed over the, the decades? Like the, the actual projects and the work and the care. And, you know, I think about like this, you, you're in, it's a more maybe professional version, but it's a, you're in a service business at the end of the day. Right. Um, and, and, and that's a really tricky thing sometimes to like articulate how to deliver really compelling and helpful service. <laughs> so, so I'm just curious to hear, like, how has your approach to the work changed or your approach to the client changed or evolved or grown over the, over the years? So, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think that we've always, even when we didn't necessarily know what it was, we always focused on customer experience and we always focused on customer service because, it, you know, when, at the point at which being in a service business, at the point at which your service becomes a commodity, you're you're in trouble because, especially if you're not if you're not the the lowest price, then you know people are looking at you as a commodity and going, well, I just need somebody to shoot this. Then they're going to say, okay, well, person, you know, A costs this, B costs this, C costs this. Who's the cheapest? Well, that's what I'm going to use. Um, and so. I think we've always really focused on, you know, dealing with the client. It's funny because because my friend David, who I mentioned earlier, he he told me when we first started, he said, you know, Jonathan, 
90% of this business is showing up on time and doing what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I thought to myself, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, there, there's, there's no way, you know, he's got to be wrong. And what I realized later was that he was wrong, but it was because it's probably more than 90%. Mm. Um, you know, one, one, of the, one of the first clients that we worked with um, was a very large not-for-profit. And we, we finished the work, and the, um, the VP of the organization said to me, you know, you guys were just amazing to work with. You know, you were did what you said you were going to do. You know, this was, you know, 1994. Um, and, you know, you gave us, you know, you, 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 you exceeded our expectations and, you know, you weren't egotistical, you weren't difficult or anything. And I, and I was like, well, you're going to pay us, right? And, you know, and she said, <laughs> and she was like, you know, you'd be surprised. And, you know, and so I think that, that, you know, early on what we realized was that, that going above and beyond and, you know, really being, a solution for our clients was was a big deal. I mean, I, I got you know my. It's funny because my employees, and my partners, early on would laugh because you know I didn't say no, and it's like I, mm. because at the moment that somebody asks you for help and you tell them no, you're telling them, well, you know, go find somebody else to help you out with yeah, the problem. That's right. And I, you know, we we develop relationships because you know, we saw help our clients solve their problems and maybe we didn't have the bandwidth to do it when they called, but we figured out a way to make it work. And I think that that kind of commitment and that sort of, of dedication to seeing it through, um, you know, health because people remember that. I mean, you know, look, we all, we all know that if there's, you know, if we need to get, you know, a room painted, there's a painter that we call and, He's never available. It's like, well, the next time you need something done, who are you going to call? Are you going to call that guy? Are you going to call right. the guy who you called and, and say, oh, yeah, I'm available. I can get to you next week yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So, exactly. And so, you know, we, we wanted to be those people that were, were reliable and accessible and responsive. And so I think, I think that's, you know, to, to a large extent, um, you know, how we how we differentiated ourselves. I gotta be honest with you, Justin. I got into that story and I forgot the question, so I'm sure I, I don't know if I answered your question or not. <laughs> Me too, man. I don't. I have no idea what I said, what I said. But but I love because I, I, it it is almost embarrassing to, um, and and this is true with like content, video, house painting, foundation repair, um, the carpenter who comes to help you refinish your basement. Right. It if it's embarrassing how low the damn bar is because people have have mishandled the client relationship so badly that when folks like you come in and do what they say they're going to do and smile and respond to emails in a timely fashion and oh by the way deliver awesome product right the, the like the, the the opportunities build and snowball upon themselves and we're experiencing that to some degree now it's like our team really gives a damn about our clients. They really care. And yeah, there, there are times when it's frustrating and internally it's like, oh, they're asking for this, right? But like the the responsiveness and the the um, availability and the, so I love the word you use, like the solution-oriented mindset. Um, is it, it shouldn't stand out so much, but it does. It just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like that, that, when somebody gives you, when somebody challenges you with something, I, I have a client who I adore. I mean, who's just an incredible woman and, and has been, you know, we've worked with for, gosh, probably 15 years now. And, and um, you know, one of the things she always says when, when they get thrown a curveball by one of their senior executives, she says, she says, we have an opportunity, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's right. never, and, 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 it, and, it, and, it, and it was kind of, you know, at first it was kind of funny, but it really is. It's like when, when, when something happens, you know, in a client relationship, when something happens in your business, you, you can, you can look at it in one of two ways. And my thing about it is, is that, you know, I try not to bring people problems. I try to bring people solutions. Mm. You know, I, I try to say, okay, well, this isn't going, we can't do X, but what if we do Y and Z? Mm-hmm. And most of the time people are like, Phew, because they don't have to sweat through, That's right. they can't do it part, you're, you're, you're bringing him a solution. You know, you, and I remember you were asking about the, how the product has changed. And I think, I think for us, the product has changed that, that 
our talent, the talent that, that, that makes up our company has gotten better and better over time. Um, and, you know, and that's saying a lot because the, the, the folks we've worked with have always been exceptionally talented. I think that, you know, our, our work has gotten higher and higher end, um, which is which has been nice to see. I think the, the profile of some of the work has gotten higher, um, which has also, you know, been nice. But you know, we've always been we've always been a diverse company, and I think that at the heart of it, you know, we've always really focused on, you know, you, you mentioned this at the outset, we focus on story, right? Because it's very easy, I think, to, when you're in any kind of business, especially creative business, it's very easy to fall in love with your ideas, and it's easy to sort of go, oh, look at this cool, shiny thing I can make. And ultimately, that cool, shiny thing is only effective if it helps advance the interests of the client. And mm. so, you know, whenever we talk to a client, I mean, the first question that we always ask is, you know, what, do you, what are you trying to accomplish? It's like, well, I need a 15 minute video. Okay, well, let's, let's not start there. Tell me, tell me who you're talking to. Tell me what it is you're trying to accomplish and, you know, what you want them to feel, what, the, what you want the action to be, you know, when it, it, what the takeaway is at the end. And I think that that is really the, that that's the key. I mean, that's the, because, you know, it's the, who is it? It's Stephen Covey. It's like, you know, begin with the end in mind kind of thing. And, and so I think for me, that's always the, and it's easy to lose sight of that. And, and we certainly, there's times that we do that, that we go, oh, this is going to be super cool. And then it's like, okay, but this is really going to help advance what, you know, what this client wants. Is it going to, is it going to work? And, you know, I mean, clients, I mean, clients are like kids, right? I mean, they're very humbling. I mean, you can go into thinking that you've got this incredible, fantastic solution to a problem and, you know, you're really excited about it. And sometimes they go, yeah, that's terrible. We're not going to do that. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and look, here's the thing. It, it, the old adage about, you know, the client, client may not always be right, but they're never wrong. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there, there's times that we've brought solutions to clients. That they said, no, we're not, you know, we don't want to do that. And, and, you know, I've thought to myself, well, you're wrong. I mean, it's you know, just objectively, I don't, I don't agree with you. But at the end of the day, it's not my company. It's not my budget. And you get to decide yep. the strategy that we that we explore. But I think that also we've been lucky that we've built up relationships with these folks. I mean, you know, we being now a 26-year-old company, I mean, we have a number of clients that are 26 years old. I mean, we have, you know, clients that we've worked with for 20 years and 15 years. And, and as a result, you know, and also people that have maybe moved to two or three different companies who we've worked with for 25 years. Mm. And so as a result, those people, those relationships are relationships where there's a tremendous amount of trust equity built up. Yes, and so, you know, we can have a conversation and say, you know, we really think you should try X and, you know, and have a, have a healthy debate about it. At the end of the day, look, I, the second employee that we hired is a phenomenal editor who I worked with in TV the entire time I was at WMC. And, and you know, Perry is fond of saying, you know, they weren't upside down in purple, they got upside down in purple. And, and you know, and that's <laughs> that's kind of the, you know, that that's kind of the philosophy that, that we've adopted, that it's like, yes, we, we want to make it the best we can be. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a reason why. You, you see director's cuts of movies because the director's cut is the cut that the studio didn't approve to actually put out. That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. you know, it, it, it's it, at the end of the day, you're working with clients who have certain things that they want to see or certain things they don't want to see. And, and you know, you have to work collaboratively with them to, to help tell their story. Man, so awesome. Are you, are, I'm just curious, like as a, a, a fellow leader, um, and again, a guy who's a few decades behind you on the journey. Are, are you as invigorated and uh, up, up, uh, I don't know the right word. Are, are you as passionate about the work and the team as you were in 1999? Like what, what's transformed in your personal kind of journey of leadership and client work and building a team and all that? Like what's, what's the motivation for Jonathan in 2021 versus 99? I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, there, there's there's absolutely no question it's different, right? I mean, it's like, you know, when you're a 26-year-old and you're single, 
and you're starting a business um, and you're, you know, versus being 52 and married with two kids who are teenagers, it, your, your life is different and, and, you know, your priorities are different. And, you know, I, I, I had two business partners who, you know, already, one who already had, had kids when we started and the other of whom was, you know, newly married and, and then had children a couple years later. And it was hard for me. You know, I was, I mean, I was all in, right. I mean, I was there, you know, 90 hours a week. And I think at first it was hard for me to sort of get like, why aren't they here 90 hours a week? Like what's this trick or treating nonsense, you know? <laughs> and then, and then, but then, but then you realize, okay, like that stuff's, that stuff's really important. And so, I mean, I would say that I'm every bit as passionate about my people and, and, and the team and, you know, in the work and, and our clients as I was 26 years ago, I think that, that you, you know, it, it, I mean, one of the, one of the great songs of all time, you know, um, is funny at times slips away. And if you think about it, mm. it, it really does. I mean, it doesn't, you know, the years don't like come by in this like giant thunderous roar. It's like all of a sudden you look up and you're like, wow, that was fast. Like, you know, that, that, that went by really quickly. And so you say you were here in 2006. It's like, that doesn't seem like 14 years ago. Um, but at the same time, I think, so, so to answer your question, I think that the passion is still there. The enthusiasm is still there. Um, the, the, what motivates me is, is evolved and probably Mm. will continue to evolve. I mean, I think that I'm, I'm, more focused than ever on growing the the leadership of the future of our company. Mm. Um, I mean, my, 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 one of my partners is, you know, older than me is a few years away from retirement. And so, you know, I think that, that wanting to make sure that, that we're building something that, you know, can endure and continue to take care of these people um, long after, you know, we're not a part of it is something that's important to me. And, and, you know, when you're when you're starting off, you know, you're thinking about, you know, how do I make, you know, how do how do I, you know, pay the bills and how am I going to get through tomorrow kind of thing. And I think I'm still very, I'm, I'm, if I was critiquing myself, the easiest critique is that I'm way too hands on. Still, I mean, which it's a blessing and a curse. And and the biggest challenge should be going into 2021, which has been this way for several years, and maybe 2021, what 2021 will be the year it actually happens, is really starting to get out of the way more of some of the people that work for us and really mm. getting them into more of a sense of ownership, literally, but also figuratively to, to own those relationships and to, to, you know, move projects forward and not be as involved because ultimately, ultimately if running pony grows as much as I can grow it, that's incredibly limiting. And it's also a disservice to the people that, that are part of our company who are incredibly talented and, you know, deserve, deserve more and deserve that opportunity. So, yeah. um, I think, I think that, I think that's, that's how I sort of frame it as I look at, you know, then versus now. Yeah. Gosh, that's so wise. And it, it, uh, again, we're, we're four years in and I feel that tension already. And it's like, you the the reason part part of not all part of the reason running pony has been a 26 year overnight success right is the is the involvement in the care and the attention in the relationship and the strategic vision and the 90 hour weeks you put in like part of you know a, a big part and your partners and the team and everything else but like you specifically have had such a, a you've been the executive chef making sure that every dish is perfect before it goes out the door. And so to relinquish, I get it, man. Like I, the, the, the involvement trajectory has to shift at some point, but like, man, that's a big, that's a big ask. <laughs> that's a big ask. You know, I, mean, I think, look, I, I think, I mean, first of all, I, the days in which I touched everything that, you know, or even saw everything that we do before it goes out the door is those, those days were long gone. So there's a lot of great work and the majority of great work that I never, you know, I, I don't, I'm never to put my hands on. So it, you know, the, the, you know, my partners and, and, you know, our team is 
way more you know, deserves way more credit than I do. Um, I think I think there is that emotional hurdle to get over. Yep. You know, we worked with a phenomenal consultant probably seven or eight years ago, and you know, he sat us down afterwards and said, you know, Jonathan, here's the good news. He's like, you're, you know, the company's greatest asset. He goes, you're also the company's biggest problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, because, you know, it, it is. And I think that there's a certain amount of, there's there's that sense of, of ownership and not wanting to give up the control and, and wanting to make sure that it's, everything stays perfect. But it's also, there's also hubris that fires that, right? I mean, there's, there's, you know, your ego that goes, man, I know how to do this right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that, you know, he or she does. And I think that maturity for me and evolution of leadership for me will be when I'm sort of able to get to that next level and go, okay, you know, and, and I feel like there's days when I'm there already, right? I feel like there's days when I'm able to say now, I don't need to be a part of that conversation. Like, I don't, I don't need to be involved in that. You got this. And, you know, really sort of, of, you know, step back and have confidence that it's, it's taken care of. Um, I think that there's days when, when my natural tendency to meddle and to want to be, you know, hands-on and micro kicks in. And that's not necessarily doing myself or, you know, my colleagues any huge favors. Um, but, I, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I don't think... I don't think when you run a business, any kind of business, you have a lot of time to sort of sit back and and reflect on, you know, how look at you know look at look at what we've done and look at what this is and you know I think back about some of the incredible moments that you know we as a company have been able to be a part of over the last 26 years and you know it, it's it's remarkable and some incredible friendships that we've made with incredible, you know, clients and, you know, people that I I think for us, the, the, the proof for us of what we were doing and it being right was we would do client surveys over the years and, and, you know, people would respond and say, you know, you feel like an extension of our own department. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel like, you feel like you're an extension of our company. And that's ultimately, you know, what we want. We want, we want to develop that relationship. We want to develop that trust. And, you know, what we've seen in 2020 is there's a lot less loyalty than there was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But there's still a lot of loyalty and there's still a lot of good people. And, you know, we've been really lucky to get to work with a lot of them for a long time. And, and that's, you know, in the lucky in the lucky and good equation, um, I, I think we've, we've certainly been a lot luckier that we've been good. And, and I'm thankful for that. Mm. Well said, man. Well said. Um, I know you've got a hard stop here in a couple of minutes. So we, we end each episode with the same five questions. So just whatever comes to mind. Um, so right. here we go. Let's rock. So number one, um, now I'm, <laughs> I'm blanking on the questions and I got so wrapped up in your comments. I was, I was yeah. You're like, you're like, it's five, it's five questions. They're and really easy. Something. And I don't know what they oh, are. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Here we go. Uh, last book you read or listened to. That's a great question. I am so actually the last book I read was um, during quarantine. I started rereading John Grisham um, because I needed something that would sort of mindless and take me off of what was going on in the world because it was really messing with my mind. So um, I've reread about seven of John Grisham's books um, over the summer, which is which has been interesting. The book that I'm reading now that's you know probably more relevant. That's that's an awesome book that I've read before. Um, is a book called The Happiness Equation by a, guy, by a guy named Neil Pasrika. And it's, you know, sort of about taking those little things in life that mm. we take for granted and really savoring them and, and realizing how cool they are. So um, that's one that I would highly recommend. I love it. Um, what is one thing you would do if you weren't afraid? One thing I would do if I wasn't afraid. Great question. Um, I would probably travel more. I'm not, I'm not a flyer. I've never been a flyer. Um, for most of my life, I haven't actually well known fact about Jonathan. Haven't flown an airplane since I was 13 years old. Whoa. So yeah. So there's your little, there's your little uh, interesting factoid. I had no idea um, for the day. And so, you know, but that's, but that, that fear is obviously, you know, 
in a post-COVID world than a pre-COVID world. Yeah. Um, now, now it's now it's very trendy. Now it's like, oh, I'm not gonna fly. <laughs> but um, but but I mean, I think that you know, I, I would, it's something that I want to be able to to see more of the world with my wife, with my kids, mm. and so that would definitely be top of the list. I love it, man. Um, on a Saturday morning, what's your go-to T-shirt? Go-to T-shirt, or your favorite? Probably whatever's clean. Um, <laughs> well, you know, well I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of whatever's clean. If look, if, if the Tigers are playing, I'm a big Memphis Tigers fan. So Tigers are playing. It's probably a Tiger T-shirt. Um, you know, if not, it's just whatever whatever feels comfortable and whatever is uh, not dirty at the moment. So Saturday is usually pre-laundry time. So it's always kind of a matter of, of what's going for you know, <laughs> what I'm going to, what I'm going to wear. That's exactly. great. What's your favorite place on earth? Which say favorite place on earth is favorite place on earth. Um, I would say over the last several years, um, well, I, I'd give you two answers to that. One is home. I mean, I'm a homebody, man. Mm. It's like, I, I, I love, I love being at home. It feels comfortable. It's mm. just, it's very soothing to me. Um, although the last, you know, eight months have sort of <laughs> tried that, uh, sure. that, that a little bit, but, but, um, so I love, I mean, I love Memphis. I love home. Um, favorite place to, to visit. We have spent, um, a lot of vacations since our kids were born down, um, in watercolor outside of, uh, outside of Destin and it's, it's nice cause it's very non-commercial and it's just, it's just chill and it's just sort of like, you know, being in another world for me. And, and I really, I really enjoy that. I love it, man. All right. Last one. And then you got to run when it's all said and done. What do you want to be remembered for? Hopefully for caring about more than myself, hopefully, um, about hopefully for being kind to people for, wanting to give people opportunities and wanting to and genuinely caring for and caring about other human beings um and and you know really doing doing what i said i was going to do um that's that's my hope at the end of the day that you know that that's the legacy that outlasts me is that you know yeah that was a guy that was a guy who you know if he told you he was going to do x he was going to do X. And if he said he had your back, he had your back. And, mm. you know, hopefully that's, that's the legacy I'm going to leave behind. What a noble legacy, man. Uh, you got to, you got to bounce, but I, your, your time here is a gift and you were kind with it. So, um, I really appreciate you, man. And, uh, I can't wait to talk again. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Justin. Thanks, man. All right, my man. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, buddy. Good talking to you as always. Bye-bye. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable, so thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.